Greetings, cyberspace, and welcome to episode 140 of the Double Density Podcast with your host, Brian Angelo. Double Density, your home to tick tales and paranormal primers. Now, first things first, Angelo, when is a dog not a dog? When Google decides that it's a cat? Yes, correct. So I woke up this morning and you'd sent me a link to a video that Google has compiled, I guess, like a greatest hits of pictures of your cat. But the soundtrack is of a barking dog. And it also was titled uh, Hello Doggy or something like that. So clearly, uh, Google needs to refine its AI a little bit more. It's not as bad as, uh, do you remember um, when you started doing a lot of the uh, facial recognition stuff that unfortunately they were equating black people to gorillas and vice versa? Yeah, that was really bad. They actually did a whole episode about uh, that on The Good Wife. Uh, okay, yes. I do remember that, actually, yeah. Yeah, it was, uh, that was pretty horrific, actually, that they uh, got that, that wrong. And now, here we are, years later, still getting things wrong. Congrats, Google. Yeah, although this one's much more funny. Yes. Uh, it's the music, really, that, that gets me with the barking sounds. The incessant barking. Maybe we'll throw a clip up on uh, Instagram. We'll see. We'll see. I don't know if I want to really share that. Too many uh, pictures of my kids. Fair enough. Uh, you also want to lead things off with the tech anecdote of the week. It seems like you have a lot of information and things going on in your life. Well, uh, we just got word that schools will not be opening uh, in our area because of the ongoing pandemic. And uh, my wife is working really hard on uh, getting things done and teaching and all that uh, using the technology we have on hand. And she created a YouTube channel for herself so that she can share lessons with her students. Is this going to lead to you creating PowerPoints uh, for the Double Density YouTube channel? No. Always such a fun man to deal with, you are. Yeah, maybe what, some pointers on how to record a podcast, how to create documents in uh, Google Docs, things like that. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I do like your description, though, of your anecdote. At the end, it says, The video is then posted on the internet website called YouTube, a kind of educational site that has videos of important things like how the Earth is flat and how 5G is causing illness. Double density. Angelo, I've uninstalled uh, Facebook Messenger and Twitter on my phone for the moment because I can't stop doom scrolling and it's driving me crazy. You've made the right choice. I'm so happy I no longer have a Twitter app on my iOS devices because that's how I used to go to Twitter often. Now... I'll just visit it via the old uh, internet way. And uh, that's not as uh, easy or as accessible, right? I have to sit down on my laptop and I don't even have a laptop. <laughs> I meant desktop. I don't know why I said laptop. Something's wrong. Uh, all computers are different and the same. Yes. I, I did get a, a, a riser for my iMac though, because you know what? Sitting at my iMac eight hours a day is uh, way worse than sitting at it just a few hours a week when I would either record a podcast or edit one and I could get up and stop doing things for a while. Now that I'm working at this computer for, uh, let's face it, the foreseeable future, I need something to get it to the correct height for my eyes because uh, my neck is hurting. Well, I'm glad to hear that you're getting the things you need to help solve your uh, you know, your uh, uh, sitting issues, your back issues, uh, you know, your ergonomic issues. It's insane how much ergonomics really plays a part in someone's life because true. I did not feel these neck pains when I sat in what I felt were not very good chairs at my office, but obviously they were much better than what I have here. And I guess my monitors were better set up at work. Sometimes I like to describe you as the, uh, the pain in my neck, just as an FYI. I'm glad I uh, can help. <laughs> but yeah, I, uh, I need to take a little bit of a social media break. Um, so I'll only uh, log on the same as you when I hit a laptop or a desktop. I think I just need a week off from constant bombardment. And then I realized I was just endlessly reloading and scrolling. And it's just driving me crazy here. 
Yeah, whenever I would uh, come across, uh, let's say something was trending. Uh, this week, Quebec was trending uh, with the rest of the country calling us morons because we were looking at trying to reopen the schools, which we didn't. Uh, they came to their senses. But there was a plan to reopen schools here. Uh, most people felt it was a little too early, and they were kind of being way too hopeful, and they decided not to open the schools. So some schools have been opened. Let me just clarify that. It's just that they're in regions where there isn't much of a population. And how does this relate to Twitter? I don't understand your point. Well, that's I would go on Twitter and see Quebec trending, and I'd click on that, and it would make me sad. Oh, fair enough. Uh, So let us get back to the topic at hand. Originally, I uh, sent you a link from Bloomberg Business entitled Podcaster Luminary Seeks Fresh Cash to Boy Struggling Business. So Angelo, you and I covered Luminary when it launched. You and I uh, agreed not to be on the platform because, of course, this is a subscription model. And, uh, you know, uh, I'm not cool with that. Podcast should be free. Well, it goes against the spirit of podcasting, right? That's why podcasts started. A simple way to get a message out there, be it a good one or a bad one. And all for free. I, I've always liked the uh, kind of like old-timey radio where you would have somebody read uh, an ad on air, so to speak, even though you're not really on the air, and it would be part of the show. I, I kind of like that. I, I'm not a fan of the uh, ad insertion that's uh, going on right now. It's really funny. So I listen to one particular podcast, and uh, they rail against Bitcoin all the time. But then one of the uh, inserted ads at the beginning of the episode uh, seems to be all about the Bitcoin revolution. So it's like this weird dichotomy of like uh, uh, a Bitcoin good, then Bitcoin bad. It's because they talked about Bitcoin, and the podcast gods listened and then stuck that. Oh, is that how it works? Uh, Yeah, it's like when you talk about. Uh, buying a bottle of wine, and all of a sudden it appears in your Instagram feed. Right. Uh, A couple of quick notes. About this, though. Uh, so uh, big thanks to TJ last week of Pints and Puzzles for voicing Alex Jones. I surprised you with that, right? That was funny because I didn't edit last week's episode. And when you sent it to me to listen, uh, I heard uh, that uh, fun time Alex Jonesy voice. And the funny thing, too, and the reason why I bring him up, he uh, tweeted out not less than a half hour ago, TJ's take. I love podcast sponsors, but if you write your copy and include in these challenging times or something of the like, there's a 95% chance I will not be buying your products. So Angelo, uh, uh, this is your floor here to pitch us on a product. I don't really have an idea of a product, Brian. I'm not quite sure uh, where to go with this. Like, for example, like let me pitch uh, uh, this, this pair of, of uh, Sennheiser headphones. Ready, ready? Okay, go. Hey, friends. Brian from Double Density here. Are you tired of listening to your spouse, animal, and or neighbor? Boy, do I have a product for you. I have a brand new pair of Sennheisers that are just going to fit your head perfectly and be able to drown out the noise of the world so that you can listen to all of the Beatles, Beach Boys, and Bach that you wish to listen to. Use our uh, uh, promo code uh, DoubleDensity15 to get 15% off your next Sennheiser order. That is Sennheiser.com slash DoubleDensity. See, that ad made me sleepy. And you know what I have when I'm sleepy? I have a nice pod of Nespresso. Nespresso Pods, brought to you by a pod on a podcast. Give us the, give the promo code. Uh, Nessopod at uh, pod.com. <laughs> okay. Uh, brought this to you by a, Luminary. This is a disaster. This is why you'll never be able to do ad reads uh, live on the air. Angel, did you know that Luminary was burning through more than $4 million a month and only came, uh, taking in $500,000 in monthly subscriptions? Well, you know, they have all those podcasts that need 15 producers to create uh, a guy talking in his bedroom. Yeah, a guy farting up noises. So I'm really glad to hear uh, they're not doing so well. I mean, yes, of course, these are jobs, et cetera, et cetera. But the very concept of it, you know, very much bothered me when it began. And I'm glad to hear that uh, we're not alone in all that. I, I always get bothered when I hear podcasting companies come out and they need a, a team of 90 to create a podcast that 
really shouldn't take more than two or three people. Agreed. A, a maximum of four to five. Let's say if there's a researcher, there's a producer, maybe an audio engineer, depending on the type of podcast it is. Yeah, still. And, and, and they end up sounding worse than like amateur podcasts like ours. I do believe the word is like ass. Oh. Uh, what do you think about really uh, bad uh, jobs, Angelo? Uh, what kind of jobs do you uh, envision yourself never being able to do? Nitpicker. I'm not sure if that's a real job, but okay. Uh, one of the uh, jobs that I would never ever want to do is Facebook content moderation. So I linked you to a Verge article entitled Facebook will pay $52 million in settlement with moderators who developed PTSD on the job. So current and former moderators will be paid a minimum of $1,000 and even more if they can demonstrate that they've uh, attained PTSD. Now, uh, Facebook content moderation must be one of the most thankless jobs on earth. It doesn't pay that well. We've covered this before. It is a uh, highly uh, toxic and uh, stressful um uh, sort of environment to, to go through, right? Because you're just viewing the worst of humanity through a very specific platformed lens. Yeah, because considering the garbage that's already on Facebook, imagine the stuff that can't make it on there. And uh, that is why, of course, there are content moderators. But yeah, just imagine being one of those people who has to see, you know, things like uh, child pornography, um, beheadings, uh, you know, explicit drug use and things like that, right? Like needles. It's It's a terrible job to have. And the fact that it's paid so poorly and they were farming people out in other countries, of course, to do this, right? There were, and there were also some in the States too. If I remember correctly, the, it was like sub $30,000 a year salaries. It was not that much. Yeah. It was, uh, it was definitely like an entry level job. Yeah. It's, um, and I'm, I read through this and I was pretty happy to see that there's actually a settlement being done because, uh, although they're not getting much money, no, it's a, it's a member of a thousand here, right? Uh, yeah, and you can be eligible for up to six, but that is peanuts when you really think about yeah. the, uh, the suffering that you go through. So I feel for anyone who has to work these jobs, it's very, very depressing, unfortunately. So um, I, it makes me question the nature of humanity sometimes when I read some of the accounts of these uh, Facebook moderators. And do you think now that this has been acknowledged that they'll actually make any changes well, apparently they're supposed to post information about psychological support at each moderator's workstation and then inform moderators how to report violations of Facebook's workplace standards by the vendors they're working for. I feel like this is too little too late and too minor. Yeah, and sounds ends up sounding really complicated to get done and fixed. Yeah, I do think that like uh, it's weird because the notion of like training an AI to look for these things seems easy enough, right? Well, uh, Google can't even get a cat right. Right. <laughs> That is a very good point, actually. Yeah, unfortunately, it's just, it's it's very unfortunate that we live in these modern times where, of course, uh, the internet has become, once again, more lawless than ever. So this is just uh, where we're at. What do you think would be the worst thing some poor content moderator would be able to come across? I think live deaths. Live deaths or like child abuse or things like that. Things that like really shake you to your core or like very um, explicit ways of, of killing someone, perhaps. It's hard to desensitize to that. There's nobody really out there that would be qualified to do this and not have some sort of lasting uh, mental damage. I think burnout is a real thing. And I think burnout in this job specifically is probably at a super elevated rate, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I feel like they should rotate, right? So half the time you spend your time uh, Facebook moderating, the other half of the time you spend, uh, you know, monitoring the like the feel-good stories of the year or something, you know, just, I don't know how it looks concretely. I'm just putting that out there into the world. The problem is that stuff doesn't need monitoring. But what I mean is like as a gift, you kind of like you allow people oh. to be happiness moderators. Or you have random people doing the moderation just a bit every day. 
Sure. Just like you uh, used to be able to be a hotornot.com moderator uh, part-time. You did that for a while, didn't you? Never. Never cared much. enough. Hot or Not was hilarious, though. I've never actually visited the site. If anyone has visited uh, Hot or Not or used to vote actively on hotornot.com, uh, double underscore density on Twitter. Let us know how you felt about your Hot or Not experience, please. <laughs> yes. Uh, so, yeah, uh, moving on. What's hot and what's not? This next article is about that. Well, yes, exactly. And what is not hot right now is, uh, you know, a new streaming platform called Quibi, which is not doing quite well. And Jeffrey Katzenberg is quite angry about this, blaming it all on coronavirus when clearly there's probably something more at play. Angelo Quibi, to quote from the article, the service offers entertainment and news programs in five to 10 minute chunks and was designed to be watched on the, to- on the go by people who are too busy to sit down and stream TV shows or movies. Sounds uh, terrible. Um, so basically you can only watch this on your phone or other device. Uh, it's not a very, uh, transferable. And then every single episode is five to 10 minutes. And are they all shot in portrait? <laughs> I'm not quite sure how that looks. Uh, cause I haven't tested it myself, but it is clearly a, a, a large scale flop that a lot of people are angry about because, uh, yeah, like I don't want to be tied down and tethered to my phone to watch content. Like you and I both know this, for example, like if I want to listen to music, I can listen to music on my phone, on my computer even on my television if I wanted to. Quibi, no, it locks you down on your mobile device. I enjoy watching TV on a TV. Call me crazy. But I know, it's the like weirdest thing, right? Yeah. And in a world, uh, like they say in the trailers, in a world where there's services like Netflix and Disney Plus and HBO and stuff, did they think this would appeal to anyone? Because it sounds like another version of YouTube. Yeah, but even more restricted. Just because you're going to have celebrities on there, it's not going to get people to watch, especially no. if the stuff's garbage. Like, how many startups do you know that have a celebrity attached to them that don't really work out? Like, that, you remember the Jeremy Renner, the social media app? That went really well. And uh, was it Luminary attached to some celebrities, too? Yeah, um, some, some talk show hosts, yes. So, it doesn't work. We're just talking a lot about celebrity stuff that just messes up. Let me quote from the article. Quibi fell out of the list of the top 50 most downloaded free iPhone apps in the United States a week after it went live on April 6th. It is now ranked number 125 behind the game app, Knock em All, and the language learning app, Duolingo, according to the analytics firm Sensor Tower. Even with a free 90-day trial, the app has been installed by only 2.9 million customers. <sighs> also, according to Sensor Tower, Quibi says the figure is more closer to 3.5 million, and of those who have installed the app, the company says 1.3 million are active users. Well, that's the thing with these apps is uh, who cares how many people download them? It's the it's retention that is important. Yeah. Absolutely, retention. That's all you need, right? It's, you know... Um, but apparently they've backtracked a bit. So um, many people who downloaded Quibi had a simple question. Why can't I watch it on TV? In response, Mr. Katzenberg and Ms. Whitman have backpedaled on the original commitment to a smartphone-only app. This week, Quibi subscribers who have iPhones will be able to watch movies in chapters like Most Dangerous Games and shows like Chrissy's Court on TV screens. But Android users will have to wait. Chrissy's Court. Yeah, it's a Chrissy Teigen television show where she uh, is a judge. Great. I didn't know she was qualified as one. Uh, she's not, but uh, who really is in these uh, trying times, right? Like Dr. Doctor Phil, right? Is not actually a, a technically a doctor anymore. Well, he's an idiot though, isn't he? Yes. Oh, well, I, I haven't talked about might get libel. Yeah. Allegedly an idiot. Yes. You allegedly. haven't had any firsthand experiences with Dr. Phil, have you? No. Uh, well, I've seen him on the television. But you do make a good point. Like in, in a world where all of these different platforms exist, where you can kind of access your information wherever you can, why would I want to be locked down to my phone? Already, I feel like I have too many choices and I don't spend enough time watching for this, watching the services I pay for. But... I know they're there and I can, and there's quality stuff. Like, look, just having HBO, you have so much stuff, even in their back catalog, that there's not enough time to ever watch everything. 
I do uh, agree with that. We recently uh, in Canada got rid of Crave. Uh, we'll return to it um, you know, at a later time. It's just there's a lot to watch uh, there, and we weren't ready to start um, paying a monthly fee when we have so much other stuff to watch uh, in the meantime. Yeah, we ended up keeping it for now. Um, I figure I'm saving $180 a month on a train pass that I'm not using and uh, not spending money on, so I can, I can afford the extra 20 bucks a month on that for now. If I were employed right now, I think it'd be a different decision. But unfortunately, since I am not, it is, uh, you know, a a non-essential that we've uh, walked away from uh, at the moment. Yes. And I think a lot of people are in that boat. Yeah. So I think, you know, I understand that Jeffrey Kanzenberg is blaming the coronavirus on Kirby's failures. But at the same time, uh, I do believe that the method of delivery on this one uh, is imperfect and forcing people to be locked into a, a certain mode in which to consume your content never ends well. No, and I don't really like watching things on my phone. Maybe my iPad. My iPad actually enjoy watching things on an iPad because you can get it closer to your face and it feels like you're watching on a relatively big screen. But I'm not a fan of watching on an iPhone. Your your hands cramp up because you have to hold it in your hand unless you have a cool pop socket. Yeah, so there are a lot of uh, disadvantages there. So hopefully um, there are different ways of being able to um, share this content out there because it sounds like a lot of people, um, celebrity-wise, create a lot of interesting concepts. Uh, non... Uh, Forgetting the fact that uh, it seems like one of the shows ripped off Everything is Terrible. I don't know if you heard about this. No. Do you know Everything is Terrible, the website? No. Uh, they basically, uh, for a while, uh, were putting together um, a lot of like lost VHS tapes. Like They transcribed them. Okay. And uh, put them online. Not transcribe them, like transcode them, put them online. So there is a show on Quibi called Memory Hole that basically co-opted uh, what Everything is Terrible was doing, um, even down to a lot of the look and the feel of it, unfortunately. So, uh, yeah, it wasn't... Uh, and, and that is the first instance I'd heard of, of uh, one of the Quibi shows, so I'm not really uh, pleased about that. But if anyone has uh, any love for Everything is Terrible, please let me know, because they also um, were a, a large collector of Jerry Maguire uh, VHS tapes. Jerry Maguire? VHS tapes. Just the movie Jerry Maguire? Correct. Jerry Maguire VHS tapes. That's weird. But uh, there are weirder things out there, Angelo. Like, uh, you know, a very old game uh, being one of the most uh, popular um, games uh, for its category on Steam. I linked you to a PC Gamer article all about how Age of Empires 2 is quietly having an incredible year. So AOE 2 um, uh, seems uh, to be attracting a lot of people, especially since they did a remaster and ultimate edition. So the game is 21 years old and uh, continually on a monthly basis sees over 50,000 people playing it. And uh, in April... Uh, uh, in the middle of April, at one point, they saw almost 60,000 players um, playing simultaneously. That's pretty amazing considering how old the game is and how people usually don't really want to play games that old. Um, I loved this game when it came out. I remember getting it pretty much day one. So you played it 21 years ago, at, you know, right before the millennium hit? Yes, on my PC at the time. I was, it was pre-Mac days. And so were you playing offline, online? Offline. I never really played online. Is this something that you like to explore as a, as a father now? No. <laughs> really? I don't really, a, I don't have a PC. I, I wonder, I guess you can run it on a Mac, but I don't like having Steam on my computer. A lot of uh, naysaying here, Angelo. Uh, you never did any improv, did you? Because you're the antithesis to the yes and exercise. Yes and? <laughs> uh, do you have any like, particularly fun memories of the game? Because I used to play a bunch of RTSs, but mostly it was like of the uh, Command and & Conquer and Total yeah. Annihilation variety. Some awesome full motion video. 
Exactly. I used to lie to a friend of mine. We play online, and then I tell him because he was very gullible. So I tell him I was building, you know, aerial, um, you know, uh, uh, vehicles and things to come attack him, and then I'd, I'd move my ground troops in, or vice versa. And he'd always fall for it because he'd always listen to what I was saying, thinking that I accidentally slipped up. I uh, used to play, well, not I was going to say World of Warcraft. Never played that, but Warcraft Two. Oh yeah, was, I played uh, Two. Yeah, yeah, that was great, and. Uh, but I did like Age of Empires and then Age of Empires 2. I also liked um, Civilization 2. I played that a lot. I never played any of the Civilization games. Oh, they're cool. Does any RTS interest you now as an adult to pick up and play? No, not really. It's I cannot sit down and play a video game for very long anymore. The only games I really enjoy now are Nintendo games that I play with my kids and uh, playing uh, emulated games on my RetroPie. And Silence. Silence is your favorite game to play. Just quiet. Yeah, just quiet silence. Sitting in the dark, looking at magic books, shuffling <laughs> cards. Well, I hope not in the dark, right? Because you need some kind of a form of light to be able to read the the it helps the you practice. Uh, fair enough. So you're just you're doing like braille style reading. Well, no, the the book is illuminated, and then everything else is dark. Oh, uh, okay. Just like how everything is terrible, everything is illuminated. The duality of man here on Double Density is presented to you, um, wholly intact. And with that, Angelo, I will see you on the paranormal side of things. Double Density presents the Three Titans. <laughs> back to Double Density, and as always, we're switching gears from tech to the paranormal, but today we are taking a sidestep from the paranormal, pure and simple, into conspiracy territory, which is something that we do encounter once in a while. I linked you to a long-form article from The Atlantic entitled, The Prophecies of Q, American Conspiracy Theories Are Entering a Dangerous New Phase by Adrian LaFrance. Now, Angelo, um, you and I have talked about Q a little bit before here on the podcast. We've talked about the the movement um, and how basically it has primarily uh, been propagated through um, things like 4chan and 8chan. I, I, I qualify this as paranormal, though, because it falls into conspiracy territory, and I lump all that all together because um, it's uh, just as fantastical as the paranormal, uh, some of the ideas. It's got a question of like uh, um, belief or non-belief? Yes, exactly, and I don't believe anything uh, Q is selling. <laughs> well, I hope not. Uh <laughs> Well, so yeah, so the first part of the article covers the um, the Comet Ping Pong incident, which we covered the last time we talked about Q, and uh, it kind of goes into a lot of how this information is disseminated, as well as some of the followers and how they uh, gain their information. So I kind of want to marry the the tech and the paranormal side of this, because I want to talk about how we've sort of entered into uh, this phase of non-belief slash belief um, when it comes specifically to Q, but also to any sort of like conspiracy theory uh or like um, conspiracy movement, like the flat earth movement, right? For example, like we talked about how uh, YouTube's algorithms would trap you in a sort of like downward spiral of videos having to do with flat earth conspiracies because they performed well and people um, were retaining them. And like, there's this awful word that you use in tech that's called, you know, stickiness, how sticky is something, right? And a lot of these videos are quite sticky, um, both on the flat earth side as well as the QAnon side, right? So the idea of being able to uh, watch these uh, in succession and stick around and learn, feel like you're learning more and more is 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 fulfilling as well as advertiser friendly. The only reason these types of movements propagate so much is because of technology. Um, you'll in the article, um, it concentrates in towards the middle of the article on uh, a couple uh, 
right? That uh, they've been sort of interested in Q. Um, and they talk about how, you know, on her Facebook page, she'll have pictures of her granddaughters and playing at Christmas time along with uh, QAnon type videos and crazy conspiracies. And the only reason she came across it was because of Facebook and YouTube. And you yeah. fall down these YouTube rabbit holes when you're quote unquote doing your research. Exactly. And that's one of the things that she, this, this woman talks about is that she was told to do her research, right? And the idea is that the officials, uh, you know, uh, uh, media line wasn't what's uh, well in line with uh, what's there. And it's funny that you bring up her Facebook profile because it's a perfect description of like the banality of some of these uh, belief systems, right? Because you were posting a picture of your uh, daughter or granddaughter as well as, you know, um, claiming that Michelle Obama was a man or something like that, right? So it kind of like coexists in this weird uh, multitude or duality of, of the self where you believe in one and the other and you never have to question it. Well, it, it comes down to the, the whole, like I said, do your own research. Um, that's an argument I used to get a lot of when I used to go on paranormal forums and start talking about 9-11 and global warming and how I would talk to, well, talk, I would post replies to these people questioning why they believed what they did when it's pretty clear that there is a warming of the planet going on based on all the literature out there and um, 9-11 was not an inside job as they think and it was actual airplanes and not explosives and all that. And I would basically get the answer of go do the research. And when I said, well, I did, and this is what I found, the research I did was not the real research. It's sources that were planted. I do think also um, the fact of creating your own documentation and your own quote unquote research is easier than ever, right? Because of the the level of accessibility that you have to various tools. Like you can create a website pretty easily. You can also open up Photoshop pretty easily. You can open up, you know, uh, Final Cut Pro and do a lot of things there that you couldn't before. Or um, traditionally, like I hate to use this as an example because it makes me laugh, but like the old Billy Meyer UFO photos, it all you know, you kind of took a sec to look at these, right? And you're kind of like, well, it was much harder to actively go out and uh, create these pieces of information where now you can just sit in front of a screen in a couple hours, you kind of have a cohesive narrative if you want to create a conspiracy theory. It's so easy to just create whatever you want, send it out there, and then maybe people will latch onto it and create a movement behind it, which this is one of the hypotheses, right, of what Q is. It was somebody trying to troll Trump supporters on 4chan, and it kind of spiraled out of control. It kind of reminds me of the, the weirder, younger, stupider brother of the anonymous movement of like a decade ago. Don't say that too loud, Brian. We're going to get hacked. <laughs> Fair enough. No, but I mean like... Well, uh, what, you know, it, it's funny you mentioned that because when I first heard of QAnon, I thought they were associated with Anonymous. And it's clearly not the case. No, not at all. They're not, they're actually not really aligned at all in terms of their thoughts. <laughs> yes, that is, I think, a, a larger um, narrative thread there uh, to mention. But it is weird that we live in a society where an ecosystem exists, where you have... Um, more valid sources um, than others, and yet everyone's kind of measuring things with uh, an equal kind of like a yardstick, right? Well, it's like the arguments that people have with having fair and balanced news uh, shows where they'll have somebody from each side of the argument, but it's obvious one side of the argument is completely wrong when you have somebody discussing climate change and you have somebody from an oil company there discussing this with an actual environmental scientist. One of them has an, the upper hand in terms of knowledge about the actual topic at hand, where the other person is basically playing from a point of view that is the total antithesis of what they're trying to discuss. 
I also think uh, similarly and more incendiary right after the Charlottesville riot happened. I do remember some people uh, were uh, mad at the media for not uh, offering a fair and balanced piece of coverage by having a quote unquote race realist, um, you know, on a panel uh, to talk about uh, defending a lot of what happened there. Well, it doesn't help when the president says there were uh, bad people on both sides. Correct. There's no both sides there unless you're talking about how, what, you can have good racists? Yeah, like it doesn't make any sense, right? Because that is a very, very um, strange um, sentence to be uh, speaking because there are no good racists, right? No, and this is the problem we have. QAnon is basically coming from the fact that the president of the United States is a clear conspiracy theorist. Yeah, He loves conspiracies. He's been peddling them for years. It didn't just start with him being a birther with Obama. Uh, He was doing this in the 80s, right, with the, the 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 group of kids that he thought had murdered somebody? You mean, uh, sorry, uh, the, their name just came to me. You were talking about the Central Park Five. It was a clear racist agenda there. And, uh, you know, he loves to say how he's the least racist person you know, but no, um, I mean, if I just knew him and Hitler, yes, he'd be the least racist person. <laughs> but I think that, like, it creates a landscape where, um, you know, and him calling things fake media has been sort of adopted. Ironically enough, uh, a lot of people who uh, argue others are sheep are just as dogmatic as these people, right? So the idea of going out there, calling everything fake media, but then following only specific um, uh, resources or websites that espouse like a specific worldview that is complementary to your own, uh, kind of difficult to sort of like uh, reconcile a lot of that. Well, the irony is there, there that they, you know, they call real journalism fake. And then the fake thing that peddles what they believe to be true is, of course, the real media, alternative yeah. media, mainstream media. It's stupid. One of the big things to say, though, is that I do think that, like, you know, mainstream media is not infallible. They have made mistakes in the past. Like, look at the Brian Williams incident, right? Of him claiming that he was on the helicopter, et cetera, et cetera. And then it clearly was a lie. And I think that, like, that has led to an erosion of, of trust. But I don't think it's uh, to the degree that a lot of these people wish it were at the same time, right? Because I do feel like... Uh, overwhelmingly a lot of the time the news that comes out of these a lot of these institutions is accurate more or less exactly and then there's the problem in the united states with fox news basically parroting whatever the par- the the parent the president wants them to say and him adopting what they say as well so you know how this whole thing talking about the uh, there was a really great episode of um the john oliver show where he was pointing out how basically Trump is parroting everything that Fox was saying when he started talking about how uh, the confinement being used to combat uh, uh, the coronavirus was uh, the cure is worse than the disease. And he kept just repeating that and repeating that once it had come up on Fox News. And that's something that people are putting out there. And, you know, it's fun and all that when conspiracies aren't dangerous. But when you start spreading conspiracies about a virus that's killing people and they're saying that this is no more dangerous than the, the regular flu and we can all just go out there and you're having people just coming out of confinement without thinking about it, it's going to get much, much worse. And I would, I said this before, I think, on the show, and a lot of people have said this, I would rather be told in this case that we overreacted than not. Right. You know, people said we overreacted with the swine flu, but it didn't get that bad, maybe because we overreacted. Uh, so coming back to John Oliver for a second, do you ever question the veracity of his claims? I, you know, I take it as a comedy show more than a news show. And I'm sure 
he probably even acknowledges it himself that he has his own biases. Um, but the stuff he says seems to be well-researched, but no, I don't take uh, everything he says uh, at face value all the time. I just find it entertaining more than anything else. That's that's a fair assessment of that because I feel like um, no matter, and I think a larger issue now is that um, the the duality of um, the political mindsets, especially in the United States, not necessarily here in Canada, where we kind of have a larger variety of political parties. And if you believe X, Y, Z, you can sort of fly any party to, to go towards more easily. But I do feel like the the sort of like the the binary of either or has created an atmosphere where it is, uh, you know, um, a type of like a civil war, at least verbally, if not physically. Uh, coming back, though, to the article at hand, one of the quotes is that a lot of these users rely on information they encounter on Facebook rather than news outlets run by journalists, right? So user-created content, user-generated content holds just as much value here um, to a lot of people who share in the Q belief system than, you know, a lot of legitimate sources who um, have, you know, uh, facts and evidence that disprove a lot of this stuff. And I think that um, it always feels like uh, we did an episode about the Jehovah's Witnesses a while back. Do you remember that one? Yes. And the idea of the end times are always coming soon. And it always feels like it's, um, you know, the QAnon narrative is always retrofitting the next disaster, right? Because there's supposed to be 10 days of great darkness in April that never happened. It was supposed to be all these blackouts and things like that. And yet the QAnon people um, largely still believe in a lot of that and still believe in the message being propagated, not necessarily the specifics. But if you are able to easily disprove what has come before, then like, why are you following what is coming again? I, I feel it's a gambler's mentality almost. It's so hard to to pinpoint though, everything that's gone wrong with the way news is generated. Um, we have a lot to blame as well with, uh, you know, parties from other countries infiltrating Twitter and just putting out garbage hashtags out there. For example, what we had Obamagate, Trudeaugate, all that stuff uh, trending this week, none of it really having any proof or anything. I, I, I couldn't even figure out what Obamagate was. Could you? No. And one of my favorite, yeah, that apparently they left, uh, they left uh, Trump and company uh, unprepared for this uh, pandemic, which is clearly not true because a lot of people have pointed to a uh, 69 or 70 page handbook about how to handle this kind of thing. Yes, of course. But the thing is, it's all buzzwords, right? It's easier to repeat, oh, Obamagate, rather than try to explain what Obamagate is, right? And well, I it's think- like fake news, right? Uh, basically, Trump, anytime he gets a question he doesn't like, he just says you're fake news. I think that we, we live in a TLDR society, right? Where it's the top line, the headline gets read, and then there's never any sort of like a follow through in terms of the actual uh, content of the article, right? And I think that's why these uh, very vague Q postings uh, on 4chan and 8chan go down really easily because of the fact that um, they're short. They're not, you know, multi-paragraph stories that kind of explain what's going to happen and they're open to interpretation, right? So once again, the gambler's mentality says, you know, you were wrong before, but hey, maybe this is the spin of the wheel that gets the jackpot that proves the you know the the QAnon conspiracy true right you know the calm before the storm well that's uh you know you mentioned just reading the headline that's how i go through the articles you send me to read for the podcast I just <laughs> yes that is such a huge surprise there <laughs> yeah okay here's a question for you then in that case like let us let us pivot to a solution oriented kind of mindset uh, how do we go about as a society that, to fix this is it fixable at all or is this just going to need to devolve before it evolves Right now, we're kind of uh, past the point of no return with this, right? It's too hard to kind of like just what shake somebody by the shoulders and say, hey, wake up. You don't know what you're looking at and understanding because they're, again, just going to come back to you with the whole do your own research argument. And then they'll point you to only things that they want you to see. 
people, what happens with people is they want to be in an echo chamber. To a lesser extent, we're like that too, right? Like I'm going to only go to websites where I talk about uh, good Apple news and not the ones that talk about how great Windows is. I think the first step, and you kind of pinpointed that out without saying it, but I think that like recognizing your own biases, I think is the first step, right? And uh, I do believe there's unwillingness to change in dogmatic views, which makes this all that much more difficult because we've we've covered the science of doubling down before. We know how people react when they're presented with oppositional evidence. They don't want to hear it. Yeah, exactly. So I'm not quite sure how uh, to go about like fixing this. I think that like uh, you know uh, keeping an open heart and always trying to you know swing for the fences and seeing um, how that goes. Maybe uh, one of the ways you know if you have a loved one or a friend who is posting a lot of this kind of conspiracy stuff. Um, and I saw this happen. Someone blocked a friend of theirs because they couldn't deal with it anymore. And in the comment section of so the friend had posted a screenshot and said you know they're blocked now. And someone said why don't you keep talking to them? And it's it's very clearly the point is that they're not listening. No one's listening ever. Um, you know, and I feel like Q empowers a lot of people who otherwise feel hopeless uh, when it comes to the dualistic, um, you know, way in which American politics works because it's either one or the other and you have no power in choosing, uh, you know, a third party or not voting at all. You have to engage in very specific ways. So Q is an alternative to one of these two um, tangentially, but also is like hooked into one of the two at the same time. And I don't think a lot of people uh, kind of pay attention to that. Conspiracy has always been with us. Now, more than ever, it's easy for people to get information, being it, be it correct or not. Wasn't this basically inevitable in the time of information at everybody's fingertips and pretty much everyone having a voice now and not just those knowledgeable enough or educated enough or trained enough to actually give out the information? It's funny that you say train because one of the things that I would do is I would definitely do media literacy quizzes, right? And we've discussed, I can't remember what website it is, but one of them, you had to actually have read the story and answer three questions before you could post a comment on the story, right? Yes. So I do feel like um, uh, proper media literacy um, has been neglected for a long time, especially in the United States. Um, there are classes you can take, but more and more as uh, media and forms of media become more sophisticated, it's harder to detect um, how to, you know, the trustworthiness of something. And even the term trustworthiness is, is just, it's lost to the, the ebb and flow of, of the times because it means everything and nothing at the same time, because it can mean, um, you know, uh, believing, uh, in a figure over, you know, uh, uh, facts or believing in facts over a figure, right? It's all very relative. Like when the concept of truth is sort of tied to a relative view of how you view the world, it then becomes harder to sort of like break people of that. I think at this point, there's really nothing we can do. I mean, apart from like posting the truth, capital T truth. The problem is, is that we always get to the point where it doesn't matter if you post the truth. That's what they're not, they're not going to go towards that. They're going to yeah. realize it doesn't really, they're going to say it doesn't matter. That's fake news. Yes. That whole new problem with people thinking the news is fake is that. I do agree with you there that like there, it is a, a tunnel vision sort of like way of, of living, right? And the thing is, the and it's kind of funny because before I was talking about how we went from like um, um, passively to actively feeling like we're involved in something. Um, uh, back in the day, in order to belong to conspiracy culture, to belong to a lot of these things, you had to actively seek these things out, right? Like normies didn't know about, you know, uh, the conspiracy theories surrounding the JFK assassination necessarily in the 60s. Um, whereas now it is easier to be a more passive participant and just receive information um, from uh, different sources that you don't question the legitimacy. So while you have become active in one way, you've become 
become very passive in another. And that creates this like weird um, imbalance in between people that I think is going to continue, uh, unfortunately, because I don't see any rational way of of playing this out. And I think the only way in which we can move along in the future through this is, um, and I hate to say this term because it sounds very authoritarian, but like proper education practices, especially um, in places that don't necessarily have those currently because of the fact that there are missing funds or, you know, uh, there's not enough in the curriculum to sort of like validate a whole class about this. But I do believe that like media literacy needs to be um, an important pillar just as much as like, you know, phys ed or whatever, or science. It needs to exist and coexist in a way that is of paramount importance, especially as we move forward um, through time. And as I was saying before, as media becomes more and more sophisticated. Yeah. So I'm saying like, like, you know, like forget the current generations, like the, you know, like your kids, for example, teaching them proper media literacy values, I think would um, add a, a lot to um, their lives too. Well, yes, of course. I, I try to do my best to to point them in the right direction. Um, it's funny this week. My daughter didn't really understand how to email. She's been doing um, sort of like an email pal with um, my wife's cousin's kid, so her I guess third cousin at this point. And she was typing up the email in Word and attaching the Word document to the email. So not actually the content of it. Exactly. So she, but she didn't get it because her 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 cousin was doing it that way. So she figured that was the right way to do it. Right. It just. I know it's an aside, but it's just the fact that if you don't teach somebody something, they won't know how to do it. And if they do it their own way, it might be the wrong way. Correct. And I think that like that is a perfect um, sort of like emblematic view of how we are currently dealing with a crisis like this, with any erosion um, in media confidence, um, uh, perceived or not, uh, undermining. Uh, people's ability to place any kind of trust anywhere. So they place their trust in something that is unfortunately very misguided. Right. And I think that is why you will see, um, you know, oh, yes. more and more QAnon support in different places as, um, the realities of political tyranny continue onwards and upwards because you believe in this instance that Trump is your guy, that he's fighting the world, but he's clearly not that man, you know, on a rational level. And he's clearly very self-interested and uh, doesn't give a shit about you at the end of the day. Um, and so like until you reach a peak point where you are personally affected by this, I don't see people, uh, veering away from Q more, um, than they already have. Yeah. If you look at um, Twitter right now, I just went on to check to see what was uh, trending. And um, guess who's trending? Trump, 2.1 million tweets. Yeah. I, I just, I think a part of this is that like, I think we're just, we're just tired of everything, right? And I think I'm tired of this. I'm tired of talking about the way in which um, people apologize for their favorite politicians, you know, and placing people over policy. And I think that's a big thing for me. When I vote, I don't necessarily vote a party. I vote a policy or a set of policies that I believe to be more um, closer in, in line to what I believe to be to be true. I just vote for the best looking one. <laughs> what a huge surprise there. Uh, Angelo, I think this is it for a very exhausting episode 140 of the Double Density Podcast. If anyone has any thoughts about this, we'd love to hear about your thoughts about um, QAnon, conspiracy culture, um, uh, breaking the thinking that people have, uh, dogmatic views and how to sort of like um, um, get through to people, um, both on a macro and a micro level. Uh, double Density Podcast at gmail.com, double underscore density on Twitter. Let us know what you're thinking. You can also, um, you know, tweet at us, though we may be a little bit um, slower to respond. You can tweet at me at uh, Brian Hasty, Brian with an I-H-E-S-T-I-E. And then on Angelo's side, Angelo Furin, I know Angelo, you're checking on a regular basis. So you I can, do check. Yeah. Yeah. You do. You, you've been checking more than I've expected you to check. Well, I'll check my notifications. See if anybody's messaging me. I will be happy to answer any DMS that come my way. Oh, well, there we go. Yeah. I'd love to hear what people think about this. So Angelo, I think this is it for episode 140. Uh, you know, tune in next week as we get uh, very weird and odd with it, as we visit the cosmos for a very unfortunate 
in Sydney. Angel, I'll see you then. See you then.